And we continue to worship as we open God's Word. We open our hearts to receive this incredible, incredible, precious gift of the Word of God. That we might not just be hearers, but doers. And that we might be transformed by His grace. Let's pray for that right now. Father, we adore you. We praise you. Who is like you, our God. You are the only God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship you. You are with us. We are the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, we are needy. But you are greater than all of our needs. And your grace is sufficient. We pray for all those in need today. We pray for those who are sick, those who are struggling. We pray, Father, for those in doubt and despair. We pray for those who are grieving today. Lord, especially as we pray now, we pray for our dear sister, Darla Bridges, who, Lord, you have called yourself her dear husband, our brother and friend, Barry, we pray for her. We pray for the family that this day you will meet with them. And as they have the service this evening, may Jesus be lifted up. And now, O Lord God, we ask for your power. I ask for your help as I desire to share your word in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 16, if you turn there please, Luke chapter 16. Appreciate Cindy coming and reading God's word for us today. Luke 16, we'll be looking at those verses, verses 14 through 18. As I have been reading this passage over the last few weeks and certainly last several days thinking about our time together. As I was reading this passage, listening to what Jesus has to say, I was reminded of a a story I read some time ago about two brothers from the Midwest. And these, uh, these two brothers had been raised on a small farm way out among the fields in the Midwest. And when they became older, became their late teens, one of them went away to college. One decided he wanted to stay and care for the farm. The one who went to college, after he graduated, was able to secure a very, very lucrative position in New York City. And so after graduation, he moved to New York City Every day he was there in the midst of that huge urban mass of people. And he decided, this is so exciting. This city has got so much of incredible power. I'm going to invite my brother to come visit. He's never seen anything like this. So he invited his brother. His brother had never been to a large town, let alone a metropolis the size of New York City. And he came for a visit. Took him on a tour all around Manhattan. And after a few hours, they got to Midtown near Rockefeller Center. Walking the sidewalks in the middle of the day, noise from the streets, overwhelming people everywhere, honking of horns. And the brother from the country stopped on the sidewalk and said, Did you hear that? And he said, Hear what? In this noise? No, did you hear that? And then he quietly knelt down near the curb and picked up a cricket. A cricket. And his other his brother said, How in the world? Did you hear that cricket? 
in all this din of noise. His brother didn't say anything at first. He just reached in his pocket, took out a dime, dropped it on the sidewalk. Immediately, people everywhere stopped, turned their heads, started looking all around. And then, this is what the brother said. He said, brother, never forget this. You hear with your heart. You hear with your heart. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. And he's been saying it many different ways over and over again. You hear with your heart. Or another way we could say it is this. We value what we love. We value what we love. And friends, I want us to understand the claims of the Lord Jesus. I want us to understand the, the simple but profound truth that he shared his entire ministry. And it's this truth. Our Lord Jesus said, you can only have one supreme love. You can only have one supreme value in your life. You must choose. A supreme love, a supreme value. You must do it, you will do it, you will live your life based on one supreme love that brings one supreme value. And so this morning, what I want us to do is look at this passage. I want us to listen to our Savior who said this then. And he is still saying it this very morning, right? His word still speaks. And he is saying that we need to recognize our king's values and we need to consider our own. Our king's values and our own. Now... In this passage that Cindy read for us, it's very clear there were many people who rejected the king's values. Many people who rejected the king's values. They didn't value what the king valued. Imagine that. Especially the religious leaders. The religious leaders did not value what the king valued. They considered themselves holy. <laughs> but when they listened to the king, most of the time they were wholly unhappy. <laughs> really unhappy. And I want you to see and listen to their response as Jesus has just said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two loves. Either you will love God or you will have a love affair with money and all that it represents this world. And their response to that is found in verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Now the Pharisees, poor guys, were perpetually unhappy. Look back at chapter 15, verse 1. They didn't like who was coming to hear Jesus, so it says they were grumbling. Maybe you remember that word we talked about. It's, a, it's onomatopoeia. It, it's not really a word per se. It's a sound that has meaning. And here are these men. Good Godzo, good Godzo, good Godzo. They, they are so offended that Jesus, this rabbi, would have these tax collectors and sinners so close to him. And they're grumbling about it. But then Jesus talks about 
the love of money. And what's their response in chapter 16, verse 14? We're told that they ridiculed him. They ridiculed him. Now that word ridicule, as it's translated in the English Standard Version, the word ridicule, it comes from two words. Very interesting. The word ridicule here, or derided, it could be translated. It comes from two words that literally mean out of, blow the nose. <laughs> out of, blow the nose. Now, I know that sounds gross. <laughs> and, but it's perfectly descriptive. Can, can you see it? Can can you hear what these Pharisees are doing? They hear Jesus saying you can't serve two masters. You'll love one, you'll hate the other. You'll hold to one, you'll despise the other. You cannot good serve God and money. And the Pharisees go, hmm. Hmm. It means literally they sneered. They, they turned up their noses and blew out air. Hmm. Well, one thing you can say about the Pharisees, they were consistent. They were consistently complaining. They were complaining saying, Jesus is too accepting. Oh, he's, he's too accepting. He even accepts these tax collectors and these sinners. And now here they are saying, Jesus is too narrow. <laughs> wow, whoever heard of such a thing that you, you can't love money and serve God. They're just perpetually unhappy. They're the kind of religious people that Archbishop Ryle, who was a great British preacher in the 19th century, he described in this way. He said, these kinds of people have too much religion to be happy in the world. And they have too much of the world in their hearts to be happy in their religion. So they're unhappy all the time. That describes so many, yes, church-going people. They have just enough religion in their heart to be unhappy in the world. They have too much of the world to be happy in the Lord. So what was the, what was the reason for these Pharisees and their sanctimonious sniffing? Well, they heard this. Verse, notice verse 14 says, they heard all these things. They heard all these things. What is it they've heard? They've heard that you can't love money and serve money and love God and serve God. And Luke says they were lovers of money. They were the first century prosperity preachers. This is not a new thing. You know who God is really blessing because they have the most stuff. And stuff, things, acquisition, that's a sign of God's spiritual blessing. That was being taught by the Pharisees and it's being taught by the same Pharisaical heretics today. It's not changed. Jesus said, listen, you know what Jesus said about a prosperity gospel? That you do for God and He does for you and you can tell how you are with the Lord by the amount of your stuff. Here's what Jesus said. He said, that's impossible. He said, you cannot love money and love God. If you love money, you are having a love affair. You cannot be devoted 
to your heavenly Father and to be devoted to money. Now, why is that? Here's what Jesus said. Why that is so. He explains it to the Pharisees and to all of us to this very day. Jesus says, the love of money is based on the love of self. And the love of self will lead you to a religion of self. You will justify yourself. Do you see that? Verse number 15, he said, you are those who justify yourself because you love yourselves above God. You love money. Therefore, you've created a religion of self that justifies you. You do it. And Jesus says that's idolatry. Idolatry. Verse 15 He said to them, you are those who justify yourselves. You're really serving yourselves and your religion is all about yourself. But you're fooled. God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, how can this happen to religious people? I want you to know there's nobody in this room, if you want to go by religion, who was as religious, is as religious as these Pharisees. They're religious. When it came to the externals, they were incredibly religious. How can this happen? How can a religious person... Be so far from the knowledge of God. How is this possible? It goes back to the story that Jesus just told in Luke chapter 15. These Pharisees are the elder brother. They're the elder brother. They have never in their lives seen themselves as the younger brother. They've never seen themselves as lost. Never. And so they justify themselves, they say they make themselves right because they've never been lost. And Jesus' whole point that he's being teaching here, and he's teaching this very moment, listen my friends, Jesus' point is only lost coins can be reclaimed. Only lost sheep can be rescued. Only lost sons can be restored. And only lost sinners can be saved. That's what Jesus is saying. Now listen carefully, my friend. Please listen carefully. Eternity is in a balance about what I'm about to tell you. A lost sinner is the rarest thing in the world. A lost sinner is the rarest thing in the world. Now, not sinners. Sinners are a dime a dozen. You can go out and ask people, would you say, are you a sinner? Well, I'm not perfect. I mean, have you ever done anything wrong? You done anything you think God may disapprove of? Well, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm a sinner. But then you begin to ask them, well, do you know that your sin makes you unacceptable to God? Do you know that your sin means that you cannot get to God? Do you know that your sin means that you'll have to pay for your sins forever? Do you understand that you're lost? That you're a lost sinner? And my friend, you will not find the same response. Lost sinners, listen. Lost sinners are a precious commodity. Why? Because it means God's at work in that person's heart. They recognize they're lost. They're lost. My friend, listen to me. How tragic it is 
that no doubt there are people in this room and there are people online. You are lost because you've never been lost. You've never recognized that you're lost. And if you don't recognize that you're lost, then you are not one of those that Jesus said, I have come to what? Seek and to save those who are lost. How terrible for people to be lost because they've never been lost. When you recognize you're lost, You'll start seeking a way of rescue. And until then, you're just walking through life. You're like Daniel Boone. He was asked one time, Daniel, have you ever been lost? He said, well, no, I've been mighty confused for three or four days, but I've never been lost. Listen to what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. Jesus is telling these Pharisees, these religious people, don't be deceived because God isn't. God sees right through that religious veneer. Verse 15, he said, you are those who are trying to justify yourselves. You're trying to make yourself acceptable to God and you think you can. But God... Knows your hearts. Oh yes, you can do this before people, but God knows your hearts. And what you think is valuable is an abomination in the sight of God. See, God knows what we really value. God knows what He really values. It's very different from what the world values. Do we understand that? God's value system and the world's value system are not just slightly different. They are complete opposites. They are diametrically opposed. They are at enmity with each other. He that would be a friend of the world will have God as his enemy, the Bible says. Notice what Jesus said about what the world values. Look at the verse again. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of of God. Now, this is interesting. Jesus uses this word abomination. Why did he use it? Because the abomin- word abomination literally means to stink, a stench. The Pharisees, you get it? The Pharisees have just, hmm. You're telling us our value system is all messed up because we love the stuff of the world and you say we can't love the world and that God's not blessing us and, and, and we can't love God and love money? <laughs> Jesus says, you want to turn your nose up to what I'm saying? Here's God's sniff test. Here's God's nose. What is highly regarded among men to God is a stench. Friends, listen to me. What the world calls the sweet smell of success is usually a stench to God. How awful. How, how awful. He's speaking to religious people. How awful. How 
deceptive this is. And here's the question, brothers and sisters. How do we avoid this? Religion itself will not cause you to avoid this. Religion itself will lead you right into this. This kind of abomination finds its home in the church. Not outside the church. How do we avoid this? How do we escape this? How do we deliver ourselves from deception so that we can help deliver others from this deception? My friend, here's the answer. Our only hope is the truth of God. The only thing that can overcome a lie is the truth. The only antidote for deception and the lies of the devil and the lies of the world's system is the truth of God. And that's where Jesus directed these Pharisees. Do you see this next? They were rejecting the king's values. So let, the king says, let me show you the revelation of where these values come from. Where do you find these values? Where do we find what is really valuable? Well, notice, Jesus says there's three truths about God's value system. I want you to see this. Three truths about God's value system. I'll share them with you, then let me just make a few comments about them. Jesus said God's value system has a source. God's value system is secure. And God's value system is specific. God has a value system. We don't have to wonder what is his value system. It has a source. That value system is secure. It never changes. And that value system, when we need it, is very specific. Notice what Jesus said about God's value system. Number one, it has a source. What is the source? Verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. And since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. Notice what he says about the source of God's value system. He says it is found in the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets prophesied the king. He said, then it's found in the teaching of John. John's the one who prepared for the king. And the value system of God is found in the gospel. And the gospel proclaims the king. Where do you find God's value system? In the word, the law, and the prophets, and the message of John, the last of the Old Testament prophets, and you find the truth of God in the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where God's source of truth is found. God's truth is right here, according to Jesus. Jesus said, let me tell you where you will find God's value system so that you do not live a life that is wasted and a life that is a stench to God. You will find God's value system in the law and the prophets, the teaching of John, and in the gospel. It's where you'll find it. Notice what Jesus said about this value system of God. It's interesting. It's not dependent upon an opinion poll. How accurate those are. You know what makes opinion polls so inaccurate? I won't, this is not in my notes. It's just free. <laughs> if you'd like to give a love offering, that's fine. Okay, but I'll tell you. Opinion polls are never accurate because they never take into account people lie. <laughs> Whoever heard of such a thing? Someone would not tell the truth. So you get all kinds of people that are not telling the truth. Now we post it. 
Make decisions from it. Brilliant. What about God's value system? Verse 17. It is absolutely secure. It is easier. Listen to your master Jesus. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Jesus is talking about God's law. Some people actually share the message today as if Jesus was just, hey, that law, don't worry about it. No biggie. Notice what Jesus said about the law. Jesus had the highest view of God's law. He said it had divine authority. It was divinely authoritative. Jesus not only had the highest view of the law, Jesus had the longest view of the law. He said it is eternally authoritative. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. It is an expression. The law of God is an expression of God himself, and the law of God will remain as long as God remains. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus had the highest view of God's law. It's divinely authoritative. Jesus had the longest view of God's law. It's eternally authoritative. And Jesus had the deepest view of God's law. He said it is entirely authoritative. All the way down to the least dot. To the least dot. You know what the word dot there is? It's a Greek word, karion, which means literally a horn. Or just a, a, a sharp piece as it came to be known. Finally, it became equated to the stroke of a pen. Like if you, you cross your T, so to speak. That's a karion. Jesus said... That the word of God is completely authoritative down to the very words and not just the words, but even the parts of the word. That's what Jesus said. What did Jesus say about the law in the Sermon on the Mount? You know, I hear people all the time quoting the Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if they've ever read it. What did Jesus say? Do not believe I have come to destroy the law. I have not come to destroy the law. I have come to what? Fulfill it. To fill it full. You, you say, well, Sam, I thought we're, we're not under law. We're under grace. I thought that's the New Testament message. Absolutely. But make sure you understand what that means. It means that Jesus fulfilled all the symbols of the law. Jesus fulfilled all the sacrifices of the law. That's the reason when he said on the cross, it is finished. And he gave his spirit up to God. The veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. Meaning all that symbolism had been fulfilled in him. All the sacrifices had been fulfilled in him, the Lamb of God. But now listen carefully, church. Jesus never for a moment meant that the moral commands of God inscribed in the law are not for us today. They are eternal. And when someone begins to think, all I have to do is just listen to the words of Jesus. It's just those red letters, if I have a red letter Bible, which, by the way, they didn't use red ink, okay? Just clarify that. It's all authoritative. You may not understand Chronicles, but Chronicles is just as inspired as John 3, 16. 
It's the word of God. That's what Jesus said. He said the value system has a source. It's secure. It will never pass away. And then notice this. Just to make sure the Pharisees understood, he said God's value system is very specific. He gave an example. He said this in verse 18. Everyone who divorces his wife, marries another, commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, are, are you like me when you first read this? What? Talk about left field, Jesus. Can we get back here, you know? Where's this coming from? What, why? Are you sure, Luke? Are you sure this is what Jesus said and he said it here? Yeah. Why would Jesus say this at this place? You have to understand the context of the conversation and then it makes perfect sense. The, the Pharisees said they valued the law of God. More than anybody else. But they didn't. In fact, by their interpretations of the law, they invalidated God's law. An example. Marriage. There were two schools of thought among the rabbis of Jesus' day concerning... Divorce. There was a school of Shammai, which said that the Bible says, except for immorality, unfaithfulness, divorce is wrong. That was the school of Shammai. And the Pharisees almost always, almost always followed the teachings of the school called Shammai. Great rabbi. But then there was another school, the school of Hillel. A great, great rabbi who was considered a little, little loose on the law. And Hillel taught, well, a man can divorce his wife if he finds any uncleanness in her. And what that can mean is, hey, if uh, literally they, the school of Hillel said, if he doesn't like the way she looks anymore. It's okay. Divorce. She literally, they taught this. They literally said this. She burns a meal. Huh. Give her a divorce. She's, she's not easy to get along with. Oh, yeah. Give her a divorce. They actually taught that. And guess who the Pharisees went along with? They're the legalists. They love all the law and all the additional interpretations of the law until it doesn't fit their lifestyle. And then they set it aside. Why? Because they have a self-made religion. They choose what is God's word and what isn't. They make the decision. They devalued the law. The Pharisees, listen carefully. Here is the, here's the progression. They devalued the law on marriage because they devalued women. Women have no value. Turn them out. You unhappy? Sure. They're destitute. They have no help, but they're just women. They devalued the law, so they devalued the image bearers of God, women. Therefore, they devalued marriage. Marriage is just a little piece of paper. You know, and the man is totally in charge. He can change it whenever he wants. And why did they do that? Listen carefully. This is Jesus' point. They devalued the law. They devalued women. That led them to devaluing marriage. Why? Because they devalued God. Amen. They said they loved God, but they didn't. 
when God's truth got in the way of their selfishness and sinfulness, when it got in the way of their domineering life. My friend, listen. Listen carefully. You cannot devalue the word of God without devaluing at the same time the God of the word. You cannot devalue the word of God without devaluing the author of it. The God of the word. I wish I could tell you how many times people have said to me about something that they're going to do. And many times in regard to a marriage relationship. And they actually say, God understands. Yeah, God understands. It's wrong. It's wrong. Friends, there's something more important than God understands me. Do you know what's more important than God understands me? For me to get this in my mind, more important than God understands me is I recognize God commands me. I don't know my own heart. I get so astray. Sometimes we get in a place of such... Stress and hurt. We don't know up from down. We need a compass. Because we love the author. We love God. We love his book. When we love God, we love what he loves. We love Jesus. We love what he loves. That's the reason when people say, you know, I love Jesus. I'm not just crazy about the church. Well, that's like saying, Jesus, I love you, but I don't much care for your bride. Oh, sorry. You've been hurt, so you're giving up on church. Aren't you glad that the Lord of the church didn't give up on you when you heard him? My friends, listen. Church is just full of sinners. God's, God's only had sinners ever to work with. We're not the dream team. We're the bad news bears. It's all God. Now notice, why did Jesus say, these things so strongly because he knew what holding to the law of God the prophets John the Baptist and the message of the gospel would do what would it do it would lead to a right response of the value of the king the value of the king not the king's values the value of the king I want you to look at Verse 16 again, and we close. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And now listen to this weird statement. Everyone forces his way into it. What? What's this forcing in your way into the kingdom? What's gospel? What's good news got to do with forcing your way in? Well, let me give you an illustration. Maybe it'll help. Think of it this way. Today, newspaper ads go out and TV commercials and social media posts announce that there is this invitation from the CEO of the Apple Corporation. Here's his invitation. Tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., the first 100 people entering the Apple store at Westtown Mall 
will receive a free iPhone 12 Pro Max. I think that's a good phone. I think that <laughs> if, if there's a 14 or 15, just let it go, okay? <laughs> what, what do you think would happen? What would happen? There would be massive crowds at Westtown. They would be pressing to get to that door. It would be so bad they'd have to call Paul Blart, the mall cop, to come and <laughs> rescue everybody. They'd be, what, what, there's an iPhone 12 in there. I'm going to get in. That's good news. That's what Jesus is describing here. People have heard about a coming Savior. I can't keep the law. There's someone to deliver me. I've messed up. There's a God of grace who loves me. There's a Savior who's coming. And now the King is here. He tells me He loves me. He says that I can come and be a part of His forever family. I can be a part of His kingdom. And what are people doing? Crowds are pressing in. And people like the tax collectors and the sinners are saying, Get out of my way. Get out of my way. And, and people like the four men carrying their paralyzed friend. We've got to get him to Jesus. We got, well, we can't get him to Jesus. Get up on the roof. Make a hole from him. We've got to get our friend to Jesus. Or a woman who's got a blood disease who says, If I can just get to Jesus, if I can just touch him. They're pressing and pressing and pressing. And the religious people who are so self-justifying, they don't feel the need. But the lost people who hear the good news, it gets in their mind by the grace of God, if I can get to the king, I'll be all right. And you can't stop them. That's what Jesus is saying. Lost people, by God's grace, began to treasure Jesus. Do you treasure Jesus? Friend, don't let anything get in your way between you and Jesus. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure hidden in the field. He is the altogether lovely one. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Him is the fountain of life that you may freely take from. Don't let anything keep you from getting to Jesus. Don't let your church membership keep you from getting to Jesus. Don't let your baptism keep you from getting to Jesus. Thank God for church membership. It's taught in the Bible. Baptism is taught in the Bible. But those only matter because people have come to Jesus who is the Lord of glory. This treasure is not offered for good people. It's offered for lost people. Then I ask us, do you value what Jesus values? What did Jesus value? Boil it all down. What did he value? He valued his father and he valued people. He did what he said to others. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. And I, lo I love my neighbor as myself even if I have to lay down myself to bring my neighbor to my father, I'll do it. You see, we have to evaluate our values. If not, we're living a life without value. Do you value God? See, this is what's so dangerous about secular and sacred. People come to church. 
And then they're going to go to their job, and they're going to go to their business, and they're going to go to their schools tomorrow as if God has nothing to do with that. They divided their life up into secular and sacred. And can I tell you, that is a false division. I am bought with a price. My life is not my own. Whether there I eat or drink or whatever I do, I'm to do what? All for the glory of God. Wherever I serve, I serve Christ. If I serve in a factory... I'm serving Christ. If I serve in a schoolroom, I'm serving Christ. If I'm mowing the yard, I'm serving Christ. When I serve others, I'm serving Christ. I don't do it in order to get God to love me. He already loves me. I do this because He's put His love in my heart and my love for Jesus. We have to run to the Father. Lord, I pray for us, I pray for myself, that we run to the Father again and again and again. Lord, I pray right now, I pray against the deception of the enemy who's trying to snatch away the word right now. He's snatching it away from some people who right now are just thinking about lunch. They're thinking about this afternoon. They're thinking about appointment tomorrow rather than thinking about this appointment. Oh Lord, don't let the enemy snatch the word away. Bless this word. And Lord, use it in our lives that we may value you and Lord, I pray this morning that right now, right here, people will not let anything from their very heart, they will determine, I won't let anything get between me and the Lord Jesus. Let's run to the Father.